Well, good morning again, everybody. It is great to see you. Man, what a time of worship this morning. And just want to welcome you back to Community Church. It's always great to see you. It's just, um, it's a blessing. It's a real blessing to be able to worship with you, to be able to fellowship with you. I love hearing the laughter. I love hearing the conversation. I, I just love the community that Christ is building here. He's, uh, he really is building a fantastic community. But I hope you had a great week. Hope that you've had a really restful weekend. And I hope that you've come ready to receive the Word of God with gladness into what Christ taught us last week should be a noble and good heart. So I hope that's where you are this morning, because a noble and good heart receives the Word of God and it bears much fruit, Jesus said last week, and it does so with patience. So that's the good soil from Christ's parable of the sower from last week. But you know, it is important that we come into the Lord's house, it's important that we come into the presence of God with our minds right and with our hearts prepared and with the soil of our heart ready to receive the word of God. And so we need to be intentional about that, right? I mean, Jesus is going to teach us this week that we need to take heed how we hear the word of God. So by way of preparation, then we could ask ourselves this morning, am I distracted? Is there something that has my attention? Is my mind preoccupied? Have I come to the Word of God with my own presuppositions of what I think it says? Have I prayed up? Have I prepared my heart through prayer? Am I ready to hear from God? Now, this is one of the reasons that we have a time of prayer before church on Sunday mornings each and every week before our service because we want to take that time, the necessary time, by the way, to prepare our hearts, to ready our hearts to receive the truth of God's word and to focus our mind on the things of Christ and to sort of eliminate those many dozens of distractions that are all vying for our attention, right? Every minute of every single day. We want to take the time to tune that out, okay, so that we can tune our hearts into what really matters, which of course is the word of God. In other words, we want to be careful how we hear. And just like Elijah Many of you will remember that story from 1 Kings when he was on the run from Jezebel and God brought him up to the mountain and then God actually passed by him while he was on the mountain. And there was a great wind when Elijah was up there. There was a great earthquake, right? And then there was a fire. So you had wind, earthquake, and fire. But the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And the Lord was not in the fire. The word of God says that God spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. And so, with our text today, it's very similar to that. We're going to read about light. We're going to read about wind. And we're going to read about waves in our story this morning from the Gospel of Luke. And so, the drama of the story we're about to read is very amazing. And at times it can even be frightening, no doubt. But as Christ again reminds us, take heed how you hear. So this morning, will I focus on the storm that we're going to be looking at, or will I focus on the still small voice? Will I try to put myself in the shoes of the disciples and wonder, man, what would I have done if I were in their shoes? Right? Or will I keep my eyes on Christ and keep my heart tuned into his word as I consider the question to his disciples, that Jesus asked them after he had already calmed the, st- the storm, he looked at him and said, where is your faith? 
I think that's a great question for each of us to consider this morning. Where is my faith? So, all right, we're going to continue on in the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 8. We're going to try to cover verses 16 down through verse 25. And so you're welcome to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you would like to. But first, let's just open with a word of prayer and then we'll get into our text. Father, we love you and thank you again for this time around your word. It is a special time each and every week when we get to gather as your people around your holy and eternal word. Your word has been settled in heaven, you tell us in the book of Psalms. And so every word that we we read is true and it's unchanging. And so help us, Lord, to understand it. Help us to ready our hearts to receive it. Help us to focus our minds on it and be careful how we hear this morning. And Lord, we pray as always, through the power of your spirit, would you guide us into all truth as we study. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 16, Jesus speaking says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, and those who, that those rather who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, Even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Verse 19. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Verse 22. Now it happened. On a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. All right, so after Christ explains the parable of the sower to his disciples, he now gives them another illustration, okay, in what many people call the parable of revealed light. Okay, and of course, this is where we get that famous children's song. You've probably all sang it. You remember it from Sunday school. You remember it from vacation Bible school, right? This little light of mine. That's right. I'm going to let it shine. You've all heard it, right? We've all sang it. And so that's where we get this song. But just as the seed in the parable of the sower is representative of the word of God, so is the light in this teaching. Okay, and just as the soils in the parable of the sower are representative of how one might receive the word of God, okay, the vessel here and the bed and the lampstand are all representative of how we receive, or rather, I should say, how we reflect the word of God, how we reflect the light that has been revealed to us. Okay, and so the bottom line is really this. What are we going to do with the truth of God's word? That's the bottom line. So let's take a closer look at it. Jesus speaking in verse 16 says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. All right. So the lamp here 
would have most likely been like an oil lantern. Your, your translation might say candle or candlestick. It's going to be more like a, a lantern, an oil lantern. So in other words, Christ would be the light and the Holy Spirit would be the oil, which tells us that every believer is called to shine the light of Christ into the darkness of the world through the power of the Spirit. That's, that's what this lamp would represent. Okay. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay? So lights were meant to shine, according to Jesus. Right? And they were meant to shine in three primary places. Did you see them? They're meant to shine in the house. They're meant to shine in the city, and they're meant to shine to the world. That's according to Christ. And so naturally, the question then becomes, is the light of Christ shining bright in my home? Or is my home typically the place where I tend to let my guard down, where I tend to walk in the flesh, right? Where I tend to take all of my frustrations out on the people that I love the most, in other words, how well lit is my home? Have I taken the light of Christ into my city? Have I done that? Right? Which would mean to my workplace. Have I taken the light of Christ there? Have I taken it to the places of recreation like the gym or the park or wherever I hang out? In other words, have I taken it to my community? Am I shining the light of Christ toward my peers and to all of those within my sphere of influence. Okay, how bright is the light of Christ among all of the other city lights out there? How about the world? How am I involved in taking the light of Christ to the world? Um, many of us probably have not gone on a mission trip. Okay, that's all right. Have you uh, given to missions? If you haven't, that's okay. Um, it would be nice if we could. It would be nice if we could all go on mission trips. It would be nice if we could all give to missions. But what can we do if we can't do those things? We can pray. How am I praying for missionaries who are taking the light to the world, right? How do I contribute to bringing the light of Christ to the world? The least we can do is pray. But the point of what Jesus is saying here, guys, again, is that lights were meant to shine right? Light is to be reflected. It's not to be concealed, okay? And too often, believers will simply cover up the light of Christ in their life for any number of terrible reasons, you know? Everybody has their reasons, but there's two primary reasons, according to Christ, in which we do that, okay? We can come up with a thousand excuses, but there's two primary ones here that Christ gives us, and the first way is to cover up the light of Christ with a vessel, Okay, now some of your translations may say uh, a bushel. That's how Matthew and Mark would interpret that. And so a bushel or a vessel, the same word really, it was a container. Okay, and this container was used as a form of measurement, and they used it to measure dry goods. Okay, so this is not just a random basket out there. This is a bushel that was used to measure dry goods. Now, you may have heard the old saying, I don't know. I think uh, I've heard this one before. I love you a bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck. Have you ever heard that one? Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably where this came from. I mean, a bushel 
and a peck are both means of measurement. Okay, and so if anyone ever says that to you, if they ever say, hey, you know what, I love you a bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck, here's what they're really saying. They're saying, I love you about nine liters worth. A little bit less than two and a half gallons. That's, that's about how much I love you. Now, even if, if that was gasoline, it, you're only worth about 12 bucks to it right now. Okay, so it's not quite as flattering when you think of it like that. But the idea here is that a bushel or this vessel, it represents business. Okay, it represents commerce. And so this is where you measure out goods to either buy or sell. Okay, and the truth is many Christians fail to shine their light in the workplace. They cover it up with their work, right? They cover it up with the worries of the world. They cover it up simply because maybe they're too embarrassed or they're, they're afraid or whatever. Again, Christians will cover up the light of Christ for any number of terrible reasons, okay? But they put their lamp under the bushel of their business. That's one of the primary ways that Christ says that we do this when we should be putting it up on the lampstand where everybody can see the light. Now, I don't know where some believers got the idea that they can somehow separate their walk with Christ from their occupation. Uh, I don't know where we came up with this idea as true followers, as true believers in Jesus Christ, that we can separate our occupation from our relationship with Christ. I don't know. Uh, Because the light of Christ in our life, it should be shining bright within our business. There's no doubt about that. It should be shining bright in our home and in our church, right? So the way that the light shines in our home and in our churches should be the way that it shines in our businesses, right? Jesus said, shine it in your home, shine it in the city, shine it to the world. I love the quote from Dr. Ironside here. He says, a professed Christian who tries to carry on his business without giving Christ the rightful place in his life is a failure. Man, but that's so true. It might hurt, but that is true, isn't it? Guys, this is bushel Christianity. It's worth about two and a half gallons. Okay? And that kind of Christianity is going to burn out quick. Did you know that lamp oil burns at a rate of about one ounce per hour? And so if all I have is two and a half gallons of faith, then I'm going to burn out in less than two weeks. Guys, we are called to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. Filled. That's Ephesians 5.18. So our lamp should be full, and our lamp should be shining bright, and it should be placed up high on the lampstand of our life for everybody to see. So look, don't let your work consume you. Okay, Don't let others intimidate you. Keep Christ at the very center of your life and let his light shine before men. And then go ahead and trust the Lord to provide all of your needs, right? So many people get in this bad habit of thinking, if I'm bold for Christ in the workplace, then I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to not make any friends and I'm going to end up looking for work. Listen to these verses, okay? Listen to what the word of God says and compare them to your current attitude regarding your work. Proverbs 23, 4 says, do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease, right? In other words, wake up, right? Don't overwork to be rich. 1 Timothy 6, 8, And having food and clothing, with these you shall be content. Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, hear this, 
I will never leave you or forsake you. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 9. We touched on this in community group this week. It's a great passage. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. The first one is this. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Okay, I don't want to be a liar. The second thing is this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Amen. What wisdom from scriptures. Look, as a believer in Jesus Christ, God may not have called you to be a preacher. That's okay. All right? But you need to understand this. He has called you to shine the light of Jesus Christ wherever you go. Right? Wherever you go. So in other words, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Right? Be the light of Christ in your place of business and then trust the Lord to provide okay, for all of your needs. Don't worry about the consequences. Just be obedient to the word. You keep shining and he will keep providing. Now, the second thing that Christ tells us here that we uh, need to guard against is that we need to guard against hiding the light of Christ under the bed. Right. So just as hiding the light of Christ under a bushel or under a vessel reminds us of overworking or placing our profession over our relationship with Christ, the bed here reminds us of laziness. Okay, some Christians, they get distracted by their work. That's the bushel. While other people are distracted by their lack of it. That's the bed, right? In other words, they're lazy. Let's just call it what it is. Now, this kind of Christian, the lazy Christian, they're all about God so long as he doesn't actually require anything of them, right? This kind of Christian lacks devotion. They lack discipline in their life, and they simply prefer comfort over true Christianity. Because honestly, guys, becoming a true disciple of Christ, becoming people of this book, it takes work. There's no doubt about that. Okay, And effort just simply is not appealing to those who prefer a life of ease. I mean, it's easier to just sort of slide that light back under the bed, forget all about it, right, than it is to actually get up and put it on the lampstand and keep it filled with oil so that it'll continue to shine day after day, week after week, year after year, right? And it's, it's much easier for us to just go ahead and sleep in the dark than it is to sleep with the light on. So lazy Christians, they tend to put out the light and pull up the covers because they would rather sleep on the job than do the hard work of ministry. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 30 says, Do not love sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will be satisfied with bread. Now, look, I could give you at least 14 other verses just from Proverbs that talk about laziness, okay? So God's opinion on this is very clear. And I personally believe that this issue right here is at least in part, at least in part, why we have the culture that we have today. As I've said many times, I still believe this, and I'll probably say it again. I believe that comfort is killing the American church. I think that we prefer laziness over holiness. I think that we prefer sleep over service. I think that we prefer a life of ease over things that pleases Christ. Many Christians are asleep today. We're sleeping. When Christ has called us to get up and begin serving and to begin shining our light into the world. And so um, I won't say any more about that. I'll let Christ do the talking because he has a very stern word here 
for those of us who have bought this lie of cultural Christianity. Look at verse 17. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. That's right. So we might choose to conceal the light of Christ. We might hide it under the bushel or under the bed where man can't see it, right? But the Word of God says nothing, nothing is secret from God. Nothing is secret, guys, from the one who knows our thoughts. That's Psalm 139, verse 2. Nothing is secret from the very one who knows the intentions of our heart. That's Genesis 6, 5. And so the truth is, there is nothing hidden that will not one day come to light. Okay, so wouldn't it be better for us to just go ahead and shine the light of Christ into our homes and into our cities and into our world than it would be for Christ to bring to light all of the dark and disobedient secrets of our heart. How embarrassing will that be? So I think, guys, what we're learning here this morning in this portion of our text is that we're going to be exposed for who we really are, okay? Remember, Christ is still speaking to his disciples here from verse 9. He's still speaking to his followers. And so if we prefer the things of this world like riches, like pleasure, like ease, things like that, over the things of God, then eventually Christ is going to bring that to light. That's what's going to happen. Because we're not going to be able to fake our cultural Christianity all the way to heaven. We can't do it. And that's why you hear me say so often again, we have to be authentically Christian. That's what Christ calls us to be, authentically Christian. In order to, order to do that, then we've got to let our light shine. And not only do we need to let our light shine, but here's where we get to the portion of the text where it talks about our hearing. We've got to be very careful that the voice we are listening to is the voice of Christ. Look at verse 18. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. So some people, of course, say that they listen, but they don't really hear. And others will say, well, we hear what we want to hear, right? But what Christ is teaching us here is that those who have truly heard him will, in fact, obey him. That will be the result of truly hearing Christ, obedience. And those who obey in the little things, well, they're going to give be given even more responsibilities. They're going to be given even further revelation. In other words, light begets light. Okay, that's how this works. And so, like I said last week, we're responsible for the truth that we know. So when we respond in faith to that truth, then more will be given. Okay, just like we see happening here with Christ's disciples. These men have responded in faith. They are followers. They are following him. Right? And so now they are getting further revelation by the explanation of this parable. However, those who hear the word of God and don't obey it, in other words, they hide it under the bushel or the bed, even what they think they have will be taken away. And of course, when you think about that, I mean, that's pretty startling to think about. But one of the things it reminds us of is the lukewarm church in Laodicea. Do you remember them from Revelation chapter 3? You read about it in verses 14 through 22. This church was rich. They had the money. They were wealthy. Okay, They didn't think they had any need because they had so much wealth and riches and things of this world. In other words, they comfortably hid their light under the bushel and under the bed. 
And the result of that was it made Jesus sick. Did you know that? In fact, he said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, Because you are lukewarm and you are neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Wow. So let me put this in terms for us this morning that we can easily understand. Cultural Christianity makes Christ puke. I don't know how to say it any clearer than that. People who proclaim the light of Christ with their mouth, while at the same time they conceal it by their behavior, upsets the stomach of our Savior. And they're going to be exposed, right? We've read that. Luke chapter 8, verse 17. We see it again in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. These folks will not only be exposed, they're going to be disciplined. That's Luke 8, 18 and Revelation 3, verse 19. So therefore, I think the incentive for us, for every believer, is to take the revealed light that we have been given and begin reflecting it to other people. Okay, which is going to both increase our own influence, but it will also satisfy our Savior. Guys, the truth is the gospel is going to go forth. It will go out. The kingdom of God will advance. So the question is, am I going to be a part of that? Well, next Luke records what I, I think is an interesting little interruption in the ministry of Christ. Um, but I want us to play, pay close attention here how Christ deals with this interruption because I think it will serve to actually emphasize the point that he's been making to us the whole time. And it reminds us of the seed that fell by the wayside. Remember that? It got trampled down and then it was stolen away by the devil because Satan, as you know, I'm sure, will often use distractions to steal away the word of God from our ears, from our heart before it takes root down deep into our soul, right? So think about that as we look through this portion of the text. I think Jesus does a masterful job of avoiding all of that. Look at verses 19 and 20. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now, we need to remember here that Christ has been ministering for quite a while. Some believe that he's well into his third year of ministry here at this point. And of course, we've seen the amount of healings. We've seen the amount of miracles. All of those begin to grow along with the enormous sizes of the crowds. Okay, it's all growing. And so it's likely that the family of Jesus began to worry about his health. I mean, this amount of ministry would put an amazing amount of stress on anyone, right? Mark tells us in his gospel that as a great multitude began to follow Christ and that he healed many of them and that he had already chosen his disciples and all of this. We studied all this back in Luke chapter 6, okay? But Mark tells us in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, that when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, listen to this, for they said he is out of his mind. Isn't that interesting? So what we see here in verses 19 and 20 could be Christ's family trying to come to his rescue. Right? I mean, maybe they were trying to rescue him from the crowds. Maybe they were trying to get him to take some rest. I'm not sure. That could be happening. But regardless if that's true or not, Jesus turns this potential distraction here into an opportunity for real discipleship. And it's awesome. Jesus is shining the light here. Verse 21, But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers 
are these who hear the word of God and do it. Amen. Guys, this right here is further revelation. Okay? This is Christ discipling these people. Because a real relationship with Christ is not natural. It's supernatural. Okay, so those who hear and obey the word of God are supernaturally related to Christ by his spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. And remember, Jesus said in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And I just, I love this part of the text. It gets read over a lot. But I just love how Christ was able to take this potential distraction right here and turn it into a real teaching moment. I mean, he provided more light to those who would believe. Okay, so he's saying, look, the true family of God will come to Christ by faith, not by foot. Okay, and there in turn, what they're going to do is end up putting feet on their faith by living out, by doing what they've learned, by doing the teaching, right? They're going to actually live out the word of God that they have received. It's fascinating, really. It's an incredible teaching, and um, Christ took advantage of the moment for sure. So next, we're going to move into the third portion of our text this morning that we're looking at. Um, and so whereas Christ has already proven his lordship over the Christian, what he's going to do next is, pro is prove his lordship over creation. Okay, And here's where we're going to find out just how easy it is for us to hear the storm rather than to hear our Savior. Right? And just as God was not in the wind, he was not in the earthquake, he was not in the fire... With Elijah, he's not going to be in the wind here. He's not going to be in the waves. Okay? He's going to be asleep on the boat. That still small voice that spoke to Elijah is asleep on the boat with his disciples, which of course means he's with them. And I think that's a greater truth that we're going to see here. And that's all that really matters. Verse 22. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. So I think this should serve as our very first faith clue right here. Because we gain a ton of assurance right here, guys, from this one verse. We get a lot of assurance from one verse. And frankly, I think his disciples should have as well. Okay, but the first thing that we notice here is that Jesus is with them. And I counted at least 12 times in the Old Testament where the Lord says, I am with you. Okay? So surely these guys would have been familiar with the words of the great prophet Isaiah who said, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you, take note of that, with my righteous right hand. That's Isaiah 41.10. So one of the most important things that we need to remember as followers of Jesus Christ, as a believer in Christ, is that he is with me. Christ will uphold me. I need to know that. I need to remember that. The second thing we notice here is that Jesus said, let us cross over, didn't he? He said, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. In other words, he wasn't going there without them. Okay, so what are we learning here? I think one of the things that we're learning here is that we can take God at his word, can't we? We can take him at his word. If he says, we're going to the other side of the lake, then guess what? We're going to the other side of the lake. That's exactly right. And it doesn't matter how big of a storm blows in. 
Okay, it doesn't matter how big the waves are that are crashing in. The promise of Christ is that we are crossing over the lake. That's what he said. But how often, how often do we fail to take God at his word? Guys, Satan will show up in the storms of life and he will say things to you like, did God really say? Has God indeed said, remember the garden? That's because his tactics haven't changed. But the good news is neither has the word of God. The word of God has not changed. So it becomes a matter of who do we believe? Do we, be, do we believe the storm? Do we believe the, the enemy? Or do we believe the word of God? Take heed how you hear. Verse 23. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water. And we're in jeopardy. Now, most people say that this was a common type of storm. Uh, you know, on the Sea of Galilee, that storms would often come down off of the mountains onto the lake, and it would be really without much warning at all. Uh, but this one was apparently a doozy. I mean, as we look at the text, I don't think this kind of storm here was common at all. I mean, sure, storms were common, but I don't think this kind of storm here was very common. Because Mark and Luke both use a word in their Gospels for storm that means whirlwind. That's what it meant. It means literally a violent attack or agitation of wind. That seems extreme to me. That doesn't seem common. And listen to what Matthew called it. Matthew in his Gospel, he called it a tempest. And that word for tempest, it literally means shaking or commotion. And interestingly, out of the 14 times that you see that word tempest used in the New Testament, 13 of those times it's used to describe an earthquake. Remember Elijah? Now, I'm not saying this was definitely an earthquake, okay, because I don't know. But the descriptions from Matthew and Mark and Luke tell us that this was no ordinary afternoon thunderstorm. That's for sure. And, and by the way, these men were skilled fishermen. They knew how to handle themselves out on the water, right? They knew how to navigate, but they couldn't navigate here. The storm was too intense. And so Matthew tells us that the boat was actually covered in waves. That's Matthew 8, 24. And so this time the word says, look, these guys were in jeopardy. Okay, it was getting real for them. But the contrast here in this story is impossible to miss, isn't it? I mean, while Christ's disciples... We're over here trying to survive the storm of their lifetime. I mean, Christ was, as Mark says, I love how Mark puts it. Christ was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. That's Mark 4.38. Isn't that great? And Jesus was just over there sawing logs while the boat was sinking. <laughs> Two things I think are worth pointing out here. At least I wonder about these things. You guys may not. But the first thing I wonder about is... Where did Jesus get the pillow? Um, could it have been from one of the ladies that were serving him, providing for him from their substance that we read about? It's a possibility. Luke 8, 3. That's the first thing I worry about. The second thing, or I don't worry about, I wonder about rather. The second thing I wonder is, does anybody really think, I mean really, that any boat whatsoever, under any circumstances, whatsoever with Jesus in it is going to sink 
You see, the jeopardy that these disciples found themselves in was not physical. It was spiritual. They were worried about staying afloat when they should have been worried about keeping the faith. Verse 24. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased and there was a calm. Guys, I want you to please hear this this morning. If you don't hear anything else, take this home with you and think about this. Your boat will not sink if Christ is on board. It will not sink. Christian, never, ever be afraid of perishing. Your master is with you. Know that. Listen to this great quote from Dr. Ironside. He says, we do not know what dangers and difficulties we have to face and what hidden rocks and shoals are ahead of us as we go through life. But we do know our Savior and we may be sure that he will carry out his purpose and will see us safely over to the other side. Amen. Guys, the disciples said, we're perishing. And Jesus had already told them, we're going to the other side. Listen, don't believe the storm. Believe your Savior. Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Did you hear that? That's pretty all-inclusive, right? Any other created thing. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wrote this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.12. He said, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Who is able? He is able. Jesus Christ is able to keep what you have committed to him until that day, until you get to the other side. So have you committed your soul to the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, then know this, Christ will keep it. Look, you might be suffering this morning, greater than you've ever suffered. You might be in the biggest storm of your life right now, just like these disciples were. But can I encourage you to keep hold of the promises of God because Christ is keeping hold of you. He has you. Don't listen to the wind. Don't look at the waves. You hear the word of God and keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Listen, Christ is not in the wind. Christ is not in those waves. He's not in any of the distractions that the devil might bring your way. He's not there. Where is he? He's in the boat. And he is with you. And guys, any boat with the Savior of the world in it ain't sinking. It ain't sinking. Christ will not abandon you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And remember, with a single word, he spoke and calmed that raging sea, right? Outside of the boat. He said, peace, be still. That's Mark 4.39. But guys, there are times when he might allow the sea to rage. He might allow the waves to crash in in order to teach the saint that is inside the boat. Okay? Again, peace, be still. I love what he says in verse 25. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds 
and water to obey, and they obey him. Did you know that out of all the created things that Christ has lordship over, which is everything, right? He is Lord over all. Only one has ever rejected his word. Just one. The wind obeyed his word. The waves, the waves rather, obeyed his word. All of those demons and diseases, they all obeyed his word. Only humanity out of all of creation has ever refused to obey. So you see, unbelief, guys, we need to understand this. Unbelief is not being afraid in the storm. Storms can be scary. Storms can be frightening. That's, no, that's normal, okay? So these disciples naturally came to Christ in the middle of the storm looking for help. But the unbelief was in their failure to believe the promise. That's where it was. Okay, because they were still afraid even after Christ had already calmed the sea. And they marveled at the miracle because the elements of nature obeyed, but in their own human nature, they were the disobedient ones. Right? They were the ones who let worry and fret and all of those things replace their faith. Jesus said, where is it? Where is your faith? Man, what a convicting story. I wonder how many times my Lord has thought that about me. I mean, I wonder how many times the Lord has said, where is your faith? How many times have I heard the word of God and, and disobeyed it? How many times have I heard the promises of God but didn't believe it? How many times have I ran to Christ in the middle of the storm thinking in my own mind that I'm reacting in faith? My faith is, is evident in my running to Christ in the middle of the storm when in reality I should have laid down and rested right beside my Savior, trusting in His promise. Our Lord's mother and his brothers, they interrupted him in the middle of his ministry, most likely while they were worried about his physical condition, while he was trying to teach his disciple about spiritual things, right, his disciples. And here Christ's disciples interrupted him in the middle of his ministry, worried about their own physical condition, while he was trying to teach them about spiritual things. He was teaching. You see, sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do, guys, is rest in Jesus Christ. Too often we say, run to Jesus. You got problems, you got issues, run to Jesus. Okay, I get that. and I believe that. I understand the heart behind someone who would say that. But look here. He's with you. There's nowhere to run. He hasn't left you. He's right here. Christ has not left you. He's resting. Christ is in the boat with you. And he's unaffected and unafraid of the wind and the waves. So what we need to do is go grab our faith and go lay down beside him and rest. Look, Christ is more concerned about your faith than, he's, than he is concerned about the water that's currently filling your boat. Right? Because at any moment, at any moment, he could simply look over at the storm and just say, peace. Be still, Mark 4.39. But what he would rather see is his children resting in his promise. I love what G. Kimball Morgan said. He said the storm could not disturb Christ, but the unbelief of his disciples did. Wow. 
Guys, Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. In other words, we're crossing over to the other side. And as far as I can tell from the text, he never stuttered. He never redacted that statement. And as we're going to see next week, they all stepped out on dry land. Luke 8, 27. Listen to me, Christian. You are going to the promised land. Rest in that. Rest in that this morning because there ain't a storm strong enough that Satan could ever send your way that could ever blow your ship off course. Why? Because Christ is with you in the boat and he is greater. Christ in you is greater than any storm around you and Christ's promises are greater than any of the enemy's plots against you. Believe that. I'll end with two questions. And it's the questions that Christ asked his disciples in Mark chapter 4, verse 40. He says this. He says, why are you so fearful? And then he asked them, why is it that you still have no faith? Man, those questions cut to the heart, don't they? Believer, keep shining your light. Shine the light of Jesus Christ in your home in your city, and in the world, and even in the storm. Keep shining. Christ will keep providing. You keep ignoring the wind. You keep ignoring those waves. And you keep the faith and do not fear. Don't fear. Christ is in the boat. And he will get you to the other side. He's promised that. Amen. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for your teaching. Lord, help us to grasp it. Would you help us to believe it? Help us to receive the word of God into good ground. Ground that will receive the word of God with gladness, where it can grow deep and get much water and flourish and bear much fruit all the way to maturity. Help us to be careful how we hear. You've told us, take heed how you hear. Lord, I don't want to hear according to my flesh this morning. I want to hear according to your spirit and according to the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me the courage to respond to the truth of this teaching. Blessed are those who hear my word and do it, you said. Help me to get busy doing it. Help me to get busy shining the light of Christ in every area of my life. Lord, please forgive me and have mercy on me for the times I have failed to shine, for the times I have put it under the bushel or under the bed. For whatever reason, whether I was too embarrassed or too afraid or too lazy, I confess, Lord, that there have been times when I've been all of those things. And so I pray and I I repent. I, I turn from that. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to get the light out Get the lamp full and get it up on the lampstand for all to see. And help me, Lord, when the storms of life come, to trust and to rest in the promises that you've already given me. You said we're going to the other side. That's what you said. I believe it. You will uphold me with your righteous hand. You're not going to let me sink. You're not going to let me fall away. You're taking me to the other side. I am grateful, Lord, for that. Thank you for your promises. 
Help me to rest in that. I pray that I can say, rather that you would say to my heart this morning, peace, be still. Let the storms rage. You're in the boat and you're resting. Lord, please let that comfort me. Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for these amazing people. Thank you for the fellowship that you're building. Please help us, Lord, to be authentically Christian. Lord, we want to get rid of the cultural Christianity. We don't want to say one thing and do another. We're all broken. We're all failures in some way. We're sinners. But we serve an amazing Savior. And you're building your church. So help us, Lord, to follow you and what you're doing. Thank you again for this blessing. Thank you for this teaching. Please help us to think about it, to wrestle with it if needed, and to bring our concerns to you. Lord, I pray that by this time next week, if, if you were to ask us, where is your faith, we could all say right here. Would you help us to walk by faith? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.